Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelinsky Show for this Wednesday, July 15th, 2015 edition. Thank you for tuning in from across the globe. I am honored that you are dialed in tonight. I broadcast Monday to Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on Worldwide Christian Radio. Sign up for my podcast by going to weekendvigilante.com and you will see the big pink Sheila's podcast button. Do sign up for that and you will have access to the latest shows as they are archived. Add me also on social media. The social media buttons are also there on my website. My book Green Gospel is available for pre-order. Go to greengospel.ca and there's a link also on my own website, weekendvigilante.com. Please get a copy for yourself and order extra copies for your family, your church, your pastor. This is the most astonishing, devilish agenda of our era. And it is a great tool to wake people up with something everyone on the planet has heard about, the environment. Go to greengospel.ca and I'm very honored to be on the Hagman and Hagman show this evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So I do hope you will check that out as well. The information is posted on my website. And again, Hagman and Hagman tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm on the first part of the show and I'm really looking forward to that. Folks, my guests today need no introduction. Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Timothy Alberino from The Alberino Analysis. And they are going to talk about what they are doing in the True Legends, the series, and a lot more. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. It's an honor to have you back on. Well, thank you, Sheila, and it's a delight to be on with you, and I, I, I find it uh, joyful that we get to talk about, obviously, what I would call the root of evil, the times Jesus himself spoke about and stating that there would never be a time like this, nor ever has been in history, and that with the rainbow now being usurped by the entire, if you will, illuminous slash gay movement of the world, it's astonishing to me that more 
Christians haven't stood up to speak out, not just of the obvious issue, but of let's talk about the history of the rainbow. Let's talk about the history of the Noahic times or the times of Noah prior to the flood. And if we even begin to understand, there's so much there to deal with that it lays out, if you will, a footprint for scholars and Christians not to have to back down. Evolution could have never taken its foothold had there been a true discussion of Genesis 1-1-1-2, had there been a true discussion of the times of Noah, had there been a true discussion of where did the biblical giants come from, had there been a true discussion of all the ancient architecture, which Tim and the film crew just returned from Peru and Bolivia, and also Sardinia months before that, in the footsteps of the giants is actually, I would say this, the true history of the world, and uh, Tim will share about the expedition, but I asked him before we went on the show, let's talk to him, if you wouldn't mind, about New Atlantis, Francis Bacon, because you did an Alberino analysis, and I would encourage everyone to go on my website, stevequail.com, and over on the right-hand side is Timothy Alberino's analysis, or analyses. And I think they're some of the most cutting edge. If you want a degree in the University of Antiquity, uh, that's kind of a, a, a name I've given the study of ancient events, artifacts, out of place artifacts in light of the Bible, then by watching the Alberino analysis, you can get caught up to speed. But Tim, let's talk about you know the utopian outlook of Sir Francis Bacon and the new Atlantis, because he obviously was a believer in the old Atlantis, and he had some remarkable stuff. Go ahead, Tim. Yes. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, Sheila. Um, the fact is that we have been deliberately deceived concerning not only the nature, but also the reality of the prehistoric world, the world before the Great Flood, the antediluvian world. And from the lecterns of our universities, the pulpits of our churches, this deception pervades through through our entire society. So it's it's a deception that's that's afoot and has been afoot in the secular arena as well as in churches. And and most people know that uh, I don't know, and and I don't know if you if 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 you do, Steve, or you do, Sheila. I don't know of a single seminary that teaches a a the what what we consider to be the biblical true narrative of Genesis six of fallen angels. And, the, and their offspring, the giants. I personally don't know of a single one. They all teach sons of Seth. And so by doing so, they completely sidestep uh, this uh, absolutely extraordinary episode that happened. And, um, and if you sidestep Genesis 6, and when I say sidestep, again, I'm referring to that's the sons of Seth theory, completely ignoring the fact that we're dealing with fallen angels and, and their offspring, their hybrid offspring, if you sidestep that issue, you cannot understand prehistory in a proper context, and therefore you cannot understand uh, our modern society, what's going on in our modern times, and you certainly can't understand what's coming in terms of the prophetic future. That's why this is so critical. Now to Francis Bacon. Uh, it, Francis Bacon was a really a very incredible guy. He lived during the uh, um, during the era of Queen Elizabeth in England. He was a part of her royal court. He was one of her primary consultants, um, and uh, he wrote a book uh, before he died in 1626, which w was published in 1627 by one of his acolytes, called the New Atlantis. Now, 
the New Atlantis is a basically it's a book describing a utopian society um, that was uh, in existence before the cataclysm that destroyed Atlantis. And this utopian society wasn't Atlantis itself, according to the uh, the, the narrative of the book, but was. Uh, connected with, was had dealings with the old Atlantis before it sank, and which, by the way, Francis Bacon uh, calls North America. That's what he refers to the old Atlantis. He's talking about North America. And this was before the colonization scheme of America, which Fran Francis Bacon himself initiated. Francis Bacon was actually in charge of, officially in charge of the colonization of the United States. And he sent over the secret societies, the, especially the secret society that he was head of, which was the Rosicrucians. And so uh, Francis Bacon was at the center of the United States being uh, the, the, the New World, North America, being colonized. So, <clears throat> uh, sorry, I'm getting a phone call. Let me turn my phone off there. In the New Atlantis, uh, Francis Bacon details that this society uh, the New Atlantis, by the way, is governed by a secret society. It's governed by a society um, uh, that's, uh, and by the way, it's called Bensalem. The city is called Bensalem, and the, gov and, the, and the government is a secret society called the Society of Solomon's House. And uh, this secret society that governs Bensalem is uh, in possession and Bensalem itself is in possession of some remarkable technologies. And, of course, this is a fiction. But now uh, look at the, 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 the foresight. And I would say foreknowledge of Francis Bacon. And I'll explain where he got this foreknowledge from in a minute. But these are some of the, the technologies that are described in a book written in the mid-17th century. Actually, in the early 17th century. These are some of the, de some of the uh, technologies that are being described in this book. Deep underground facilities, three miles below the earth, skyscrapers half a mile high, wind and water turbines, artificial atmospheric devices, electrical devices, genetic labs, industrial manufacturing, lasers, powerful telescopes, spectacles for the eyes, magnifying glasses, audio amplification, including headphones, <clears throat> advanced firearms and missiles, flying machines, submarines, and holographic projections. All of these things are described as being the technologies that the fathers of, the, of Solomon's house, that secret society, are in possession of in Bensalem, on the island of Bensalem. And the reason why they're in possession of these technologies was because this was a society, this was an island that escaped the cataclysm that destroyed Atlantis, and they had trade with Atlantis. In other words, this is an island and a society whose roots were in the antediluvian world. And that is precisely what Bacon was describing, that was the nature of the New Atlantis. That's what it represented. And, and uh, Francis Bacon was himself an acolyte of, uh, of John Dee, the famous uh, Dr. John Dee, who was an infamous sorcerer. He was actually the court uh, wizard uh, of a couple of, uh, of monarchs. 
And he was, uh, Francis Bacon was under his tutorship. And many people believe that uh, Dr. John Dee was the, uh, was the originator of the Rosicrucian order. Now, that, that hasn't been proven, but there's, there's reason to believe that he started the order uh, of the Rosicrucians, or at least um, made it what it is today, the, the kind of order that it is today in terms of a secret society and mingling Rosicrucianism with Christianity. By the way, that's what Rosicrucianism is. The, the symbolism of the Rosicrucians is the rosy cross. It is a rose, a red rose, superimposed o- over a cross. And the, re- and the symbolism is very straightforward. It means, it means the mystery schools, the mystery religion with a backdrop of Christianity. And it's just deception. It's, it's, Chris- it's mystery religions masquerading as, Christi- as Christianity. And I think that that right there describes the United States of America historically more than, uh, uh, more than anything else, Rosicrucianism. And again, that was the, they were the, some of the first people to come over to the, the New World uh, in North America were the Rosicrucians under the direction of Francis Bacon. So Francis Bacon and John Dee received much of their revelation. And they say this, uh, uh, they say this, Fra- both John Dee and Francis Bacon. John Dee invented the Enochian system of, of uh, angel magic is what he called it. Um, which was a very complex, p- complex mathematical system. It's a language that he believes is a language derived from angels. And the reason why he believes that is because John Dee uh, was in contact with entities, with non-human entities, as was Francis Bacon, who again was his student. And John Dee was actually, John Dee was actually um, one of the premier um, navigational experts of his day. And he was the one who taught many of the explorers who would go to make the different discoveries and colonize the Americas and, 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 and make the different discoveries about the globe. He was the one who taught them the navigational system that the, uh, that the, um, the British Empire ended up perfecting and therefore basically building their empire that rule that governed the globe for for some time it was precisely because of their navigational expertise which came from uh in part and mainly from dr john d who was again a notorious sorcerer now if you look up information about john d on the internet you're going to find a lot of information saying that he was a scandalous a, a, a scandalous fraud that 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 he was uh, he claimed to be a sorcerer, but he was nothing more than a fraud. Well, I have no doubt that he was a, also a fraud, but he was certainly also a sorcerer. He was definitely uh, in contact with other otherly uh, uh, entities um, that come from other dimensions or other realms or however you want to look at it, because of the information that he received through the uh, through occultic means. Um, and Francis Bacon, the same can be said for him. He was a master Kabbalist. And not only was he a master Kabbalist, he was, he was an exceptionally uh, smart individual. And what's really ironic is that Fa- Francis Bacon is often called the father of modern science. And he promoted and to a large degree really established the, um, the scientific method. It's, it's really Francis Bacon that... that established and, and popularized 
the scientific method. And so he's held up as this, uh, as this, um, as this beacon of reason uh, and science uh, over, over supernaturalism and, and, and over traditional religious uh, viewpoints, when in reality, Francis Bacon was also in contact with these entities and was deriving much of his information, including scientific information, from uh, demonic sources. And so here he is, the father of moder modern science, and the main, uh, and the main, um, um, the main, um, the main um, developer of the scientific method, and he's getting much of his information from supernatural sources. And of course, you won't hear that in the universities, and and you won't really find that written anywhere except for on the internet from people who've done their homework. It is an amazing paradox, and that shows you again. It's it's that Rosicrucian deception, in 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 in, in scientific terms, it's that rosy cross superimposed uh, over science and the scientific method. But behind it all is knowledge, is secret knowledge, is angelic knowledge, is forbidden knowledge that comes from the antediluvian world. Knowledge. Uh, the knowledge of the watchers, the 200 watchers that fell, uh, that episode that is detailed uh, in, the, uh, in the book of the watchers, in the book of Enoch, Enoch 1, and those 200 watchers, they were the ones who, who began to divulge this, this forbidden knowledge of heaven, the knowledge that they had. And the knowledge that these watchers, these fallen angels had, was not peripheral knowledge was not just hocus pocus. Uh, their knowledge was physics. Their knowledge was mathematics. Their, their knowledge was um, uh, uh, astronomy and cosmology, and their, their knowledge was metallurgy. It was real knowledge, what we call today science. That's exactly what it was. It was science. So what the fallen angels taught the human race was forbidden science. That's exactly what they taught not only the human race, but primarily their children, the hybrids, the giants and the other hybrids that they produced in an act of rebellion against God. And of course, they led the whole world astray. And that is the, the um, a description, the, a nutshell description of the antediluvian world, the pre-flood world, the world that... Uh, that the the main, mainstream churches and mainstream society and science has and history and anthropology has gone to great lengths to make sure that we forget. And I say forget because uh, the truth is that ingrained, ingrained in the human psyche all across this planet uh, since the beginning, uh, since the since since the days that. Uh, that uh, that Noah and his sons and their wives uh, were rescued from the floods, there has been ingrained in the human psyche this knowledge, this universal understanding that there was a great flood and that the world was vastly different before that flood and that it, what I refer to as the, the, the empire of the gods was in was functioning. In other words, the, the earth was basically the dominion of the earth was usurped by these fallen angels and their hybrid offspring. That is 
a, a knowledge that is sort of a subliminal, sublim, subliminal knowledge in the background of human psyche. And so that's why every major culture on this planet, every major ancient culture on this planet, and many of the minor ones, have flood myths have myths about giants, have myths about the gods that came down and mingled with men. In other words, they had sex with human women. And, um, and, and that is, in my opinion, that is the biggest cover-up happening uh, that has been happening uh, um, on our planet, uh, at, definitely in, in the times of modern history. I would say it began during the Dark Ages, when the uh, when the Roman Catholic Church began to suppress uh, knowledge, and it wasn't just scientific knowledge; it was all kinds of knowledge, especially knowledge uh, of the occult and of the pre-flood world, um, and they were consolidating all of that knowledge themselves. I think people have to understand the importance of all of this. We have arrived at the time spoken about by Jesus, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. The flood came because this whole earth had degenerated into a zoo, a morphology of terror and corruption and debauchery and perversion. And that's exactly where we are today, aren't we, Steve? Yes, and, and Sheila, the, the thing that we're trying to get across, it's an issue of bloodlines. Now, let me describe the bloodlines. The giants, as we know them in history, for instance, Goliath, when Goliath was slain by David, that hybrid spirit that was half human and half fallen angel, and don't forget Goliath had brothers, it's, uh, what is it, in First or Second Samuel, it talks about the reason David took five smooth stones was in order to take on Goliath's brothers, too. I mean, that, that speaks to the zeal that King David had for the Lord of hosts. And the mockery still goes on today, Shua. We've talked about this on your show before in the past. The reason the Illuminati has to tell the uh, people on earth what they're going to do is so that primarily the people on earth cannot be without excuse. In other words, they're indicting us for our stupidity. The main thing about Genesis 6 giants is both before the flood and after the flood, it explains everything. I call it the Rosetta Stone of history. The Rosetta Stone was found in Rosetta, Egypt, 35 miles, I think, south of Alexandria, and basically taught Greek-speaking people how to decipher hieroglyphics. That's how we learned, and it was during the reign of Napoleon Bonaparte. So when I say Genesis 6 is the Rosetta Stone of history, it explains the master builders, it explains the technology, and doesn't, I mean, doesn't that blow your mind, Sheila, that Francis Bacon knew about those high-tech devices that absolutely, you know, in 1627, I mean, until Tim presented that, of all the stuff I've read, I miss that, okay? So precept upon precept, God is revealing the hidden secrets, the hidden mysteries that we might all come to the understanding of. And it's incredibly, uh, uh, how should I say that? It's marvelous. And that's why I think the psalmist said, Oh, Lord, how marvelous are thy works, and your ways past finding out. But now the Scripture is fulfilling the words of Jesus that there's nothing that's been hidden that isn't going to be revealed. I just got an email, Tim, and, and Sheila, while we were you know, getting set up to do the show, and someone said, well, why, if all this advanced technology existed, why did Noah have to use primitive means to build the ark? Why did it take so long? Well, in judging the fallen angels and their civilizations, 
the fury of Almighty God at what the fallen angels had introduced to mankind is fully manifest in the flood. And the book of Enoch, uh, again, talks about the fallen angels knowing that this judgment is going to come upon them. So in God's, I would say, this righteous and holy indignation, he hid, he destroyed, he covered, he de- you know, he basically made it so, um, how do I say this, so obvious that he was against the technological uh, revelations to mankind because it only destroyed them. I, I guess we rest our cases. We watch our world ready to be destroyed in our generation to such a degree that Jesus said if the days weren't shortened for the elect's sake, there would be no flesh left alive. So why is the Rosetta Stone, Genesis 6, chapter 4, there were, there were uh, giants in those days and after those days. Again, that, those days are the days of Noah. Uh, obviously, King Og and uh, uh, the giant brothers of, um, oh, forgive me, uh, David Goliath and others were sought out and basically to be destroyed because God sent his fear, and I believe that the people have got to understand this, the giants fled to every part of the known world after the flood, and this is what I would call the second corruption, the second introduction. So when Tim and the expedition crew went into South America, for the first time in history, I believe, there has never been the addressing, and it wasn't God's time yet, of, of supernaturally uh, built architecture that was prior to the flood of Noah and post-flood to uh, Noah. Tim, how high is Lake Titicaca? 13,000? Oh, it's over 12,000 feet for sure. 12,000, okay. Yeah, 12,000 feet. And what happened to Lake Titicaca was that sea level, the whole thing rose. It would be considered an upthrust. And with, with Lake Titicaca and Peru, even Francis Bacon uh, basically, all roads didn't lead to Rome. All, lo- uh, all roads lead to Peru. And one of the fascinating things is my contention that Easter Island and some of the other islands that lie beneath the sea were one time attached to uh, the mainland, and the Moai, M-O-I, statues on Easter Island, just it, it was only two years ago that anybody thought to maybe dig down and see what was underneath them. They found that these statues were extremely tall. And they were, again, the Moai were facing, uh, you know, on a hill, and they were facing, I think, was either the rising sun or the setting sun. The point being is, is that the history of giants is the history of human race of technology. Now, let me go back. Let's take Goliath. When he died, that hybrid spirit, not totally human, not totally fallen angel, uh, walked the earth. And what's fascinating is Jesus told, told us and tells us what happens to the unclean spirits when they go out. Now, I'm going to want everybody to fast forward. So all the most evil entities in the history of the world, you know, you can basically just go and find them. Even the spirit of Nero, I think basically he set up shop in Washington, D.C. Uh, as you know, I, do, I no longer will address the White House as a White House. Maybe we ought to call it, uh, you know, the color house, but I call it the slaughterhouse. And I think it was uh, John Whitehead now who's picked up the, the term, and, and maybe he didn't hear from me, but the slaughterhouse. And so what you have in the history of the world now, we've got the point coming of incarnation. The Inhuman Genome Project can have all these noble medical outward statements, but at the heart of the matter is this. Genetic engineering now and the 
ability to reconstitute specific entities for the rehabilitation of the spirits that originally left them is got to be one of the most unusual, I think, and no one's ever addressed this that I know of. Do you know of anybody, Tim, that's ever addressed that? Because you're a pretty well-read guy. The fact that the Human Genome Project is looking to recreate bodies for the disembodied spirits of these entities. Have you ever heard that before? No, outside of you and maybe Tom Horn, no. And Sheila, have you ever heard of that before? Absolutely not, outside of the three of you. Okay, so what I'm saying is this is a unique revelation. Not that it was given to me, not that it was given to Tom Horn or whoever else. Well, I'm not taking credit for anything, I'm just saying it. But it had to be at this time. It had to be at the time that God said, now it's time to reveal that. And I think this is where we're at. So given uh, the issue now that we are in a position to simply come to the point of, of dealing with these guys, these re, let's say this reincarnated giants, the technology that's been hidden, the knowledge they had is going to be reestablished. That's why Jesus said, and I wish people could get this, there's never been a time like it, nor would be again, and except the days be shortened, there'd be no flesh left alive. Right now, someone says, well, what are you working on, Steve? Well, Tim and I are working on the integration of what went on in South America and how the giants spread up through Latin America, first of all, Central America, uh, then into Mexico, then into the Ohio River Valley. And what's, what's totally lost to most people is when you've got Smithsonian uh, archaeologists in the Grand Canyon, King, Professor Kincaid, talking about the Egyptian citadels, when everything in the Grand Canyon used to have Egyptian names, how did that come to be? Well, obviously, Smithsonian denies that Professor Kincaid ever existed. Uh, due to the bias by a gentleman named Mr. Powell, uh, Lake Powell is named after him, the, the idea that I want people to understand today is that while Babylon was being built, if you will, as a ziggurat to the heavens, and God had to confound the language, we've got Mystery Babylon now doing on a level and scale that uh, historical Babylon couldn't even touch. And that's what we're, we're believing that we'll be able to demonstrate to the people through the findings on the expedition. Tim, go ahead and address just some of the amazing stuff. Just again, the architecture of... Uh, uh, you know, some of the places that you went to, not just Tiwanaku and Pumapunko, but, uh, you know, Sakse uh, Waman and, uh, what is it, Ojante Tambo. Will you just address the, yeah, the, the, and I, I, Sheila, I apologize. I am a horrible enunciator of some of those terms. Fortunately, Tim lived there. He can pronounce them. And uh, it, 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 Tim, go ahead and share because you guys were there and you filmed it. And so let's talk about just the stuff that you have come into. <clears throat> okay. Um, before I get into that, let me let me um, let me say one thing, Steve. That that question you got: Why didn't Noah use the advanced technology to build the ark? Well, there's there's a number of reasons. But uh, going back to Pember, George Pember in his book Earth's Earliest Ages. Uh, made a fascinating observation that I never really heard any other preachers uh, preach about or, or mention, and it's this, that simu two things were happening simultaneously on the earth among the children of Adam. 
you have the line of Seth, who Pember describes, and I think uh, very uh, rightly so, as awaiting, patiently awaiting their, their redemption that they knew was to come. Their hope, they understood from what height they had fallen. Obviously, Adam and Eve were still alive. They were telling them about the wonders and the glories of the garden and walking with God in the cool of the day. So the line of Seth, uh, the righteous, were waiting for redemption, for the rectification of their fallen condition so that they could be restored to, so that they could be redeemed, forgiven, restored to what their parents had. They, that's, that was what was going on with the line of Seth. That's what they were looking forward to. Whereas the line of Cain, the rebellious line, the wicked, were building the cities, were, were, were developing the technology, uh, eventually under the guidance of the fallen angels and their children, were looking to create these vast kingdoms and were fighting with each other and were looking to amass wealth and were greedy and they were the ones who were using that technology and who were embroidered in all, all that was going on with the fallen angels. But Enoch, at the same time, was teaching. That's what his name means, to instruct, to teach. He was teaching the righteous the way that they should walk, the way that they should live. And he was pointing them towards, and, and, and in the book of Enoch, this is the man that he was pointing them towards, that son of man who was to come. That's who Enoch was preparing the righteous, was what, what he was preparing the righteous for, was to receive the Son of Man, was to receive the one who was coming. That's what the line of Seth, in other words, the righteous in the earth, were doing during, the, uh, uh, during everything that was going on in the pre-flood world. And that's why Noah did not use the technology of the fallen. He didn't use it. He wasn't corrupted in his genes, and he wasn't corrupted in any other way. He wasn't using the, the, uh, the technology of the fallen ones. And that, I believe, is, is uh, the most adequate explanation why Noah didn't use that technology. It was available, but it was forbidden. And so he, he, he obviously built the ark according to, to uh, the, the layout that God gave him. Okay, so now getting to the, uh, our trip in Peru and what we saw there, we were in the Altiplano, and uh, around Lake Titicaca, and we were also around the area, uh, the, the Cusco region. Both of these areas, in fact, all throughout Peru, in fact, all throughout South America, but especially in Peru and Bolivia, you can find uh, what we believe are remnants of the pre-flood architecture, of the, some of the structures that stood in the world before the flood, and therefore evidence for this technology that we're referring to, this pre-flood forbidden high technology uh, that was introduced by the science, let's call it, the pre-flood science that was introduced by the fallen ones, by, the, by the, uh, the archangels, the dark angels, the fallen angels that fell in the pre-flood world. And uh, what you find in, what we found in, uh, we went to Tiwanaku, uh, which is in Bolivia, and like Steve said, we went to uh, Saksaiwaman, which is an amazing, I think, let me say this, Saksaiwaman, which is located literally right in Cusco, it's right on the outskirts of Cusco, 
Um, you, you get in a taxi and you drive for 10 minutes uh, and you're at Sacsayhuaman, which is it's up on a it's basically up on a hill overlooking the city of Cusco. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Uh, and I say this in the documentary, if, if there's any place on this planet that looks like it was built by giants, maybe outside of Baalbek, it was Sox, it is Sacsayhuaman. I mean, that, that it, it just, it, the, the dimensions and the size of the stones that were used and just the way that they're molded together, we believe that they were somehow either poured into place or they were, the, the actual stone the actual rock was poured into place or somehow they were able to soft it, soften the stone um, by changing the molecular structure. Um, and that we cover that in part two of our first episode, which is called Technology of the Fallen. And, um, but what's really interesting is that you know, we're obviously not the only ones to have gone to these locations. These are very famous locations. They're big tourist locations. We weren't the only ones there. These are places that are visited, uh, you know, all year long by uh, tourists. And certain other individuals have gone to these places. Um, I know that Eli Marsuli went to Sacsayhuaman and to Cusco. But our intention in going was uh, basically it was twofold. It was more than twofold, but we had main, two primary objectives. Um, actually, three primary objectives. The first was to go. We're always looking for evidence of giants. And we knew that Peru uh, was, was definitely one of the places that you need to go to if you're looking for evidence of giants. Um, the second reason was we're looking for evidence of the pre-flood world in general. And again, Peru and Bolivia are, are one of the best, if not the best places to go to, to see, to put your hands on. You can actually get up close and put your hands on uh, what we believe is pre-flood architecture. And the third reason was to follow up on the research of David Flynn that many people are not aware of, that David Flynn uh, actually uh, discovered these geoglyphs uh, while viewing satellite images over the Lake Titicaca region around Peru and Bolivia. So those are our three primary objectives. And, and what fascinates me is that um, there is so much information surrounding, let's pick one of the, all, all of those places, let's pick one of them, let's pick Tiwanaku in Bolivia. There's so much information concerning giants, concerning ancient technology, concerning other, uh, let's say, non-human entities that were involved in that civilization and in the building of the structures uh, at Tiwanaku. And yet, and yet, None of these shows, these, uh, the, the popular shows I've seen on television and the documentaries, especially the ancient alien stuff, ever even talk about that stuff. They focus on, on all these other things for which there is no or very scant evidence. In other words, that the, the, the ruins that are found at Pumapunku were somehow a landing platform for flying saucers. I mean, absolutely asinine conjectures based on, uh, uh, based on very little uh, evidence and, and, and actually even based on uh, not even that much rubble. There's not even that much ruins there to make such a, uh, uh, to concoct such a conjecture. But what is evident, what is evident in stone and what is evident in the ancient documents, I mean, the, the, uh, uh, the 16th century documents, 
um, concerning Tiwanaku and what is ancient in the traditions and the stories of the natives themselves concerning Tiwanaku is that there once existed a race of giants and that Tiwanaku, Pumapunku, which is in Tiwanaku, was built before the great flood that destroyed the whole earth, that destroyed everything. This is what the Inca say. This is what the conquistadores believed. This is what the Jesuits, the, the Jesuit priests and the Augustine and the Dominican priests that went to Tiwanaku right after the conquista believed and wrote about. This was the consensus. This was a, the consensus was that it was not only Tiwanaku, also Sacsayhuaman, the, and Ojantay Tambo, the consensus was that these were pre-flood places and they were most probably built by giants. And why do they say most probably built by giants? And when I say they, I'm referring to some of the chroniclers, the Spanish chroniclers uh, that talk about Tiwanaku. The reason why? Because giant skeletons, corpses, have been discovered in every one of those places, especially beneath the ruins of Tiwanaku. A giant corpse was dug up. I mean, elongated skulls are discovered, and, and not only elongated skulls, but giants with elongated skulls. And these are in the documents. And nobody talks about these things. It's all about flying saucers and aliens. It's all about, you know, uh, as, as Steve always says, the fruit of evil or, the, or the, the fruits of the antediluvian world rather than addressing the antediluvian world itself as, as an incredible, extraordinary reality that ought to really blow everybody's minds and change everything we think we know. It changes everything we think we know about the prehistoric world, even for most Christians. It changes everything you think you know about the prehistoric world because we think that, and this is the, the banal imagery that we're shown, for example, in most Sunday school classes, is that the prehistoric world was full of a bunch of guys that weren't very smart, walking around in sandals and animal skins. Now, that might have been true to a certain degree, but what it's ignoring is the fact that, for example, well, let me say this, it's ignoring the fact that, that science, forbidden science, was ubiquitous all across the, uh, the, the pre-flood world. And let me, let, me, let me say this, referring to these technologies that Francis Bacon had foreknowledge of um, uh, in his book, The New Atlantis, the reason why Francis Bacon was able to detail these technologies is because there is nothing new under the sun. That's why he could detail these technologies, because they already existed in times past. That's exactly what Solomon told us, and it is true. There's nothing new under the sun. Um, and, he, and he says, what can it be said of that, hey, this is new? This is new. There's nothing. Nothing is new. And he wasn't just talking about the primitive sciences of the early post-flood world. He was referring to all science he was referring to all the knowledge, the forbidden knowledge and the sciences that were known, that were well known before the flood of Noah that surpass our science that we have today. And in fact, what we have today comes from the roots of the science uh, that was divulged, uh, the forbidden science that was divulged by the fallen angels. So it's really fascinating to go and find evidence in stone um, of that pre-flood world. And again, it's also very fascinating to see how everybody 
ignores it. I shouldn't say everybody, but how so many people ignore what's right in front of their faces and, and, in, in, and in the place of just uh, taking the Bible at what it says, specifically Genesis 6, and looking at these ruins and coming up with the same conclusions that the Inca did, the same conclusions that the conquistadors did, the same conclusions that the Spanish chroniclers and the Jesuit priests did when they looked at the same ruins and saying, hey, Here's proof of the pre-flood world. This place was destroyed by the flood. Oh, and there's also giants. The giant bones were found here. So we can infer that the giants had something to do with this. And it's, it really is amazing, uh, Steve and Sheila, that we're not the first ones to say this, I don't think. But, but I, I've never seen a documentary where people go to Tiwanaku and say, hey, look. These are pre-flood ruins, and by the way, a large giant skeleton was found under here. Well, I spent 40 years, you know, investigating this stuff, and like I said, it was astonishing to me when just in the last two weeks, when Tim and crew were down there, that they were given some uh, original documents on disk, not the documents, but, you know, the photocopies of them, and talking about the giants, you know, with skulls so big, Sheila, that a 42-inch Spanish cup-hilt rapier sword could not, you know, barely touch the back of the skull when put through the eye socket. No. That would put these giants at 36 to 40 feet. I believe God did this. I mean, the reports of, you know, I, I say this, and people, you know, always mock me and want to, but the, the judgment of God on the giants for going after homosexual habits, and, and the Bible talks about the whole earth was corrupt. Not only did the giants corrupt, and I don't know how they did it, you know, and I don't even want to go there, but the fallen angels, okay, were able to corrupt all of creation, meaning insects and everything else. So when, you, when you're dealing with the whole concept of supernatural evil manifesting itself on the earthly realm forbidden by the God of creation who loved mankind he sent Jesus his only begotten son to die for our sins and then to have this country meaning the United States of America the new Atlantis turn so completely and totally against the God of creation we're dealing now with a total um, how do I say this cornucopia of evil coming at us from all dimensions soon to manifest in the presence how is that the point that I want to make is this people this is critical knowledge is power and somebody asked me why I won't put my books into an electronic format. It's simple. Very soon, when the internet goes down, all the knowledge that's in electronic book format that hasn't been physically printed out will disappear. Have you considered that, Sheila? Not only have I considered that, but my own book, I want people to get a physical copy because you're absolutely right. And don't you find, Stephen Tim, the fact that the giants were sodomites and destroyed? Well, isn't it a coincidence that around the time Tim, you're discovering this, the sodomite agenda's in full swing, and isn't it a coincidence that sodomites are using the same colors? Yeah, that's smart. Take God's symbol from the last time he destroyed the earth and wave it around as a symbol of your sin. That's a great idea. Yeah, I, I told Steve, uh, I think it might have been right, you know, during those the, the, those couple of days when that, that, that whole situation was unfolding with the Supreme Court legalizing gay marriage, that I was reviewing, translating 
these documents from the 16th century detailing these, the, the destruction of these giants precisely for sodomy. By the way, the giants that we're referring to for people uh, who don't know, there's a famous story, that, there's a story that was made famous by Ciesa de Leon, who was a, a famous Spanish traveler. Um, there's a story about a group of giants that landed, they came in huge rafts and they landed. Uh, they landed at a place called Santa Elena, which is a place, it's on, the, it's on a peninsula in Ecuador, but at the time it was part of the province of Peru. Um, now it's Ecuador. And these giants came from over the sea, and they were six times the size of normal men, and they didn't have any women with them, and, they, and the natives didn't know where they came from. But the natives were, were I mean, this was, this was stone-cold fact to the natives, and it was, it was such a, a prevalent story. All the natives knew about this story. It was famous. It was a famous story among the natives, and they continually recounted this story to the conquistadors, including Pizarro and his men, and to the different uh, Spanish inquisitors and the different, uh, uh, the different Spaniards that they would encounter because uh, Francisco Pizarro and the conquistadors found the bones. They found the bones laying dispersed, and the bones were charred black, and they asked the natives about the bones, and the natives said those were a race of giants that came from over the sea that were destroyed by God. God sent fire and brimstone and lightning and destroyed them, incinerated them because they were sodomites, and uh, mainly because they were sodomites, but also because they were just wicked in general. But they were notorious sodomites. They they didn't bring any women with them, so at first they were using the, they were eating the natives and taking their wives, and of course killing them in the process of raping them, and then they turned to sodomy and were just, uh, they actually were destroyed, this story goes, and this story, by the way, is repeated over and over and over and over in the Chronicles, uh, that they were destroyed in the act of sodomy. They were actually destroyed in the act of sodomy. An angel appeared, and that's what the natives say, a young, handsome man appeared in the sky and began to throw down lightning and fire on them and incinerated them. And by the way, the, the Spanish did not believe that that was true. They didn't believe that that story was true. They took it with a grain of salt until it was proven to be true. In 1543, when Captain Juan Olmos, who's a native of Trujillo, and, uh, and he was the governor at Puerto Viejo in Santa Elena. He was literally the governor of that peninsula that is now in Ecuador where the giants landed until he decided to conduct an excavation in that very valley to see if he could either disprove or prove this story that they kept hearing over and over. And guess what? He found the bones. He found the gigantic ribs and other bones. And, he, and, it's, and this is what the Chronicle said. This is a chronicle that's uh, written by uh, Agustin de Sarate, who was a, uh, a Spanish historian and chronicler. He says that, that if the heads had not been found with the bodies, in other words, if the heads have not, the, 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 the skulls had not been found with the bones that Captain Juan almost excavated, uh, dug up, that he would not have believed. It would not have been believable that they were human beings. And then he says, thus, by his own investigation, by Captain Juan Olmos, by his own investigation and seeing the signs of the lightning that punished them, and I'm reading directly from the document here, he confirmed that what the Indians had said to be true. He confirmed what the Indians had said to be true. And he sent throughout the diverse regions of Peru some of the teeth that he found there, which he probably extracted straight from those skulls, 
each one of which measured three fingers in width and four uh, in length. So, so it's a, I might have I might have even been uh, translating this very document the day that uh, sodomy was. Uh, the, the, I mean, uh, the day that uh, the Supreme Court ruled that homosexuals uh, could be married, and uh, so that's amazing. Wow, that is amazing. Absolutely. Well, isn't it convenient too, Steve, and you cover this so well in Xenogenesis, but this very intense cross-pollination between the biotech, the nanotech, altering the genome, the frequencies of the DNA, geoengineering, even chemtrails is producing Morgellons disease. They're dispersing these nanoparticulates. And we know China created the first genetically engineered embryo. Isaiah saw something transgenic, like a goat animal. Even the London Daily is talking about hybrid chimera. Isn't this all a coincidence, Steve? Well, I don't believe it's a coincidence. I think in the mouth of a multitude of witnesses, whatever would be established, I think, and, and again, I got shivers like electricity going through my body when I finally figured it out, and I didn't just come to the conclusion. Again, the timing of all this is astonishing. London Daily Mail's article, and she, here's what I want to share. People have got to get, and I mean this, uh, to my knowledge, the Genesis 6 Giants, Volume 2, that I cleared up a lot of stuff and added stuff that wasn't available to me 10, you know, 12 years ago when I wrote it, is absolutely a primer. It's the, if you will, it's the key to understanding the whole thing. Why does God say replenish years in Genesis 1-1 and 1, you know, God, not in the first chapter of Genesis, uh, why does God talk about replenish here? That word replenish means to come back from, to, to re, if you will, populate the earth. Why does Jeremiah chapter 4 talk about a flood that happened before there were any cities or before the creation of Adam? How can you have cities if Adam and Eve weren't created? This is why, you know, I guess the creationists, cannot convince the world. If I shared with you how many people have come to the Lord by reading a book I wrote, my very first book I think was Aliens and Fallen Angels, The Sexual Corruption of the Human Race. It explains everything. Genesis 6 Giants, the second volume, people are just, you know, emailing me, thank you, thank you. It, it helped my husband to accept Jesus. Xenogenesis on page 271, Sheila, after the show, go look it up, it's on the rainbow. You remember when I was given that document by a high-ranking, very high-ranking, I think he was probably the deputy director of CIA, talking about the rainbow. The reason the rainbow has been usurped by the gay movement is because it is boundaries of the frequencies of the light of which in the real, you know, everything that God does is in sevens. And for the people that get upset over Steve 777, my, that has to do with the seven seals, the seven vials, and the seven trumpets, and I didn't want to go with four or five or six sevens, but there are 700 mentions of seven in the Old Testament, New Testament, or seventh or 70, like Daniel 70 weeks. So seven is an important number. But guess what? The rainbow that has been adopted by this movement now is six. So what, what, Mr. Langley, obviously for Langley, Virginia, the headquarters of CIA was talking about, is the destruction of the atmosphere, the destruction of the rainbow, the interference with God's waveform patterns of creation in order for all these things to come through. So ladies and gentlemen, I've got to tell you, in my 21 years, I think I've said this, of talk radio as a, as a host and 25 years as being a guest on different shows, the most amazing 
information that I've come across until this point. Now, I'd put this in, but the information that Tim found that we're going to be presenting in our documentary, which by the grace of God should be available mid-August, it's just that once we think we've got to finish, something remarkable comes up. But anyway, xenogenesis is probably one of the most important things that anybody can read because I'll tell you this, the pages 271, 72, 73, about the rainbow and, and the, uh, the dying deathbed confessions of someone who was briefed on the aliens, briefed on all this stuff. And by the way, the aliens have been around for, you know, and I believe that they're, they're dimensional, multidimensional beings masquerading as, you know, planetary uh, plunderers of the uh, human race. So I would encourage everybody to go on my website, stevequail.com, go on the book, and the two books I would say are the most quintessential important right now for people to get a hold of are Genesis 6 Giants, because that's what Tim and I are talking about, and also Xenogenesis, because that's where it's leading. But Tim's made a powerful statement. There's nothing new under the sun, and the ancient civilizations that predate Adam and Eve were destroyed when they started messing around with genetics. We are so ripe, Sheila, for total destruction, and God is furious with sin. He doesn't turn his back and say, there, there, earthlings and creations, you know, go ahead and have your way. God will move, God will act, God will judge. And people can quote seven, Second Chronicles 7.14 until they're blue in the face. The problem is nobody except individuals on a rare basis are even claiming that. The mega churches aren't, the mainstream churches aren't, and people say, what do we need to repent of? Well, the idea is your country's been stolen, your children's future's been stolen, and very soon your lives and everything you've worked for will be stolen. Thanks for having us on, Sheila. Thank you, Stephen. I'm sure there's no uh, coincidence here. Both your books contain the word Genesis. In the very waning minutes, Tim, just tell people how they can check out your production and your True Legends series. Um, we have a website for our documentary uh, film series. It's called TrueLegendsTheSeries.com. That's TrueLegendsTheSeries.com. And um, I, I'm going to be posting updates uh, as we go along here in the editing process, there's already one, one, already one update on there now, and you can watch the trailer there. And uh, when the when the DVD comes out for sale, um, it's gonna we'll, we'll announce it there, and also on Steve's site and in some other places. But if you want to just kind of track with us, TrueLegendsTheSeries.com. There you have it, TrueLegendsTheSeries.com. Bookmark that, folks. Tim and Steve. Such incredible information. Thank you so much for not only coming on the program, but thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. God bless. Thanks, guys. Folks, that was, of course, Steve Quayle, stevequayle.com, and Timothy Alberino from The Alberino Analysis. And, of course, you can find truelegendstheseries.com. Link there also on today's July 15th bio. In one hour from now... Please do catch me on the Hagman and Hagman show. I'm really looking forward to being back with my good buddies, Doug and Joe Hagman. It's been a long time, so I'm looking forward to that. And again, don't forget, folks, Green Gospel is available now for pre-order. Please get this book in your hands. That's greengospel.ca. Tomorrow on the program... For the first time, this side of a jail cell, Kent Hovind joins me. I'm really looking forward to that. Folks, thank you so much for tuning into the program from across the globe tonight. Do email me 
Let me know how you like this show. Good night and God bless.